Thank you so much, Kleins and Kelso. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 13. One of the bad things about being in a time-conscious culture is that if I read all that I needed to read this morning, you would want me to quit after I got done reading. Then I wouldn't even get to preach. And certainly God's Word is much more important than what I have to say. But, um, so we're going to have to break into the story. And it's not a story that you learned in Sunday school, very likely. Um, I don't think it, it, well, it might be unfamiliar to some. But um, <clears throat> we're going to have to break in to the middle of the story. We're not even going to really get to finish it. Um, but we'll break in and we'll try, to, we'll try to help fill in the blanks. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 1 Kings chapter 13, and, and let's start in verse 14. 1 Kings 13, and we'll begin reading in verse 14. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said unto him, Art thou the man of God that camest from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said unto him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I may not return with thee, nor go in with thee, neither will I eat bread nor drink water with thee in this place. For it was said to me by the word of the Lord, Thou shalt eat no bread nor drink water there, nor turn again to go by the way that thou camest. And he said unto him, I am a prophet also as thou art. And an angel spake unto me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with thee into thine house, that he may eat bread and drink water. But he lied unto him. So he went back with him, and he did eat bread in his house and drank water. And it came to pass, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came upon unto the prophet that brought him back. And he said unto the man of God that came from Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord, For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back, thou hast eaten bread and drank water in the place, of which the Lord said unto thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come unto the sepulcher of thy fathers. And it came to pass, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled for him the donkey, into which the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him, and his carcass was cast in the way, and the donkey stood by it. And the lion also stood by the carcass. I'd like to speak to us with the help of the Lord of liars and lions. Of liars and lions. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And sometimes as we look into your word, some stories, sometimes they puzzle us. Sometimes we don't completely understand them. But we ask that you would come and that you would anoint us one more time in our flesh and in our weakness, that your Holy Spirit would so fill us up and pour out upon this congregation that we might, Lord, truly understand the lesson that you'd have for us to learn today. 
We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. The new recruits were on their airplane for the first time. They were about to jump. I don't know what it is to skydive. I've never done anything so foolish. I take that back. I've done other foolish things that probably qualify. But I've never, never jumped out of an airplane, and I don't think I would of my own free choice. But these, these young recruits are there, and they're strapped in. They've got their, their shoots on, and, and the sergeant is giving them their final instructions before they jump. And he says to the man that, he says, now if, if your main chute fails to open, you need to get your body into a tight position and pull your reserve chute. And one very timid soldier raised his hand and he asked a very important question. He asked, what happens if the reserve chute... No, 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 that's not what he asked. He wanted to know how long he had to pull the reserve chute. That's what he asked. How long do I have to pull my reserve chute? And that sergeant got right there in his eyes, eyeball to eyeball, and this was his answer. The rest of your life. The rest of your life. That would shock you a little bit, wouldn't it? Now, how long do you think it was that that soldier remembered the answer? Probably for the rest of his life. Hopefully it was not in just a few moments. But that was answered. That, that it was so shocking. It was so unexpected. That when he heard that, he realized this isn't about seconds. This is about life and death. And sometimes we read stories in Scripture that jar us a little bit. And I feel like this story is one of those. It's, it's a strange story. Two prophets, neither one who God gives us their name, two prophets that do strange things, really. The Lord had come to the man of God. In fact, the, the, it's because he doesn't give us the names. The, the author calls the one the man of God. He's from Judah. And he calls the other one the old prophet. And so I'm going to do my best not to mix them up this morning. But the old, uh, this, this, the, yes, he already did it. The man of God is called. And the Lord said unto him, I want you to go in up to Israel and I want you to go and, and, and prophesy against King Jeroboam. I want you to tell him that he's a wicked, no good for nothing. And I want you to, uh, I want you to tell him that his altar is going to crack. He's an idolater. I want you to preach it. And I want you to preach it hot. And I want you to preach it hard. And when you get done, he said, I don't want you to go home the same way. He says, and while you're in Israel, you're not allowed to eat anything. You're not allowed to drink anything. You're not to go into anybody's house. You're to get yourself home. I hope it wasn't a hot day. Youth camp, we drank a lot of water. So this, this, this man of God, he, he saddles his donkey. He's got, he's got a passion for the Lord. He's, he's, got a, he's got the word of the Lord burning on his heart. He, and I, I suppose that, that he made that donkey go in high gear. 
Jeroboam is there and he's got his little party going on, his idolatry, and they're burning incense. And, and, this, and, and here it is looking, you know, like Satan's having his day. And, and here comes this man of God. It's off his donkey. And he begins to preach. And he begins to say exactly what God had him to say. And he's on fire. He's just minding God. He's excited about what God has for him to say. And you know the king didn't like that too much. And he stretched out his hands and he said, get him. And as he stretched out his hand, the Lord withered his hand. And he couldn't pull it into himself. Wow, God's working, God's moving. Of course, Jeroboam, suddenly he's repentant. All of a sudden he's got religion. Pray for me that my hand won't be so withered. I want to bring it back to myself. It's all dried up. And so the prophet prays and, and the king's hand's restored. And wouldn't you know the altar cracks and the ashes spill out just as, he had, as the man of God said the sign would be that God is bringing judgment. Wow. This sounds like a pretty good story right now. This is, this is, this, I mean, this is something to teach in Bible school. Young men, when God gives you a, a message, burn it on your heart, preach it without fear or favor of man. It doesn't matter if it's the king or the pauper, just preach it. God will do what he says he'll always, always what he says he'll do, he will do it. Sounds like a good, good preaching right now, doesn't it? But all of a sudden, you know, of course, the king says, I, I tell you what I want you to do. He says, I want you to come home with me. I'm going to prepare a feast in your honor. Obviously, God is with you. I, I, I'll kill the, kill the fatted bull, and, and, and we're going to have a, we'll have a great feast. We'll have wine. Come, come on, we'll have a party. It's not very often that God speaks up here in Israel. And the man says, God has said unto me, I'm not eat to eat or drink or even come back the same way. And he refused the king's offer of a great big feast in his honor. King offered wealth. He refuses it. Goes home. He's headed home. He's, he, he goes a different way. He's minding God. He's doing good. Still sounds like good preaching, doesn't it? It's a good story. It's still sounding great. I'm liking it. This man of God. Doesn't even have his name in the scripture. He's just, he's just trying to, he's just a small character in God's great big plan, and he's just he's happy to fulfill it. It must have been pretty warm. It must have been probably the hot part of the day. He decides he's gonna sit himself under the oak and cool down a little bit before he makes his way home. Well, while this all was going on, there was this old prophet who had sons that were at, at this shindig. Now I don't know if they were to observe to tell their dad what was going on, if, if they were participating in idolatry. We don't really know, but these boys run home and they tell their dad, they said, Dad, you gotta, you gotta God showed up today. There's a, there's a preacher and this is what he did. And Dad, this is amazing. He said, boys, I want you to hurry up and saddle my donkey. Uh, he says, I want to go talk to this man. Well, this sounds pretty good too, doesn't it? You... If, if God's speaking to somebody, it's good to talk to them, see if God's got anything to say to you. So he gets on his donkey, and he puts it into high gear, and, and gets going, and, and chasing this prophet down. I'm sorry, the man of God. See, I told you I was going to mess this up. Going to chase this man of God down. They get, he finds him sitting there, he goes, are you the man of God? He says, I am. He says, I tell you what I want you to do, I want you to come home. I've got bread and water. He says, no can do. 
God told me, and he goes through his list of things. God said no. He says, oh, but an angel came to me. I'm a prophet too. Come on home with me. It's okay. And this prophet follows him back. And while they're sitting down to a feast of bread and water, the Lord speaks to the old prophet and says, you will not be buried in your father's sepulcher. You're not going to make it home alive. I think he probably lost his appetite. Think I would? Gets on his donkey and as he's headed home, a lion jumps out and slays him but saves the, the donkey. And there he is. His carcass there. Nobody, the lion just stands there by the carcass. Leaves the donkey alone. The donkey just stands there, not afraid of the lion. And you know that nobody wanted to go get the body. Would you want to go try to steal a body from a lion? I, I'm not excited about it. But this, this prophet, this old prophet goes and he does just that. And buries him in his grave. And he tells his boy something odd. He says, when I die, I want you to bury me right beside his bones because everything this man says is going to come to pass. What a strange story. It went from shouting ground to, huh? It went from, man, I, I'm excited about this man of God to, to ugh, he's dead. <laughs> it's a weird story and tucked away here in the Old Testament and not one we tell at Sunday school for some reason. But let me tell you, I think there's some real principles here that God wants us to get from this and I believe this is why it's tucked away and recorded for us all these years later. I think the first lesson that, that God would have us to understand, it's not the mighty things that trip us up oftentimes, it's the mundane. Here he is, he's offered the, the wealth of the king, he's offered the feast of the king, he's offered uh, to enjoy a, a, a fine beverages, he's, a, he's offered uh, ease and comfort, he's offered great reward. All he's got to do is come home with the king. And you know what? Bless God. God said, no, I'm not going to do it. And that's exciting. But here comes this old prophet to the man of God. And he offers him bread and water. Now I want to ask you, if you're going to trade your soul for something, if you're going to trade your life for something, or would you trade it for a feast or trade it for bread and water? Most of us, if we think about it, if we're going to be foolish enough to trade our life, we're going to trade our life for the feast. If we're going to go out, let's go out with a bang. I don't know what you're having for Sunday dinner. But, fellas, I suggest that if your wife isn't mad at you, you're probably not getting bread and water. Now, if you're on the doghouse, might, you might be thankful to get that. But they're trading. He's trading his life for bread and water. Why? He could have the wealth of the king. He could have the feast. Why is that? Well, 
I think that the big thing, the big takeaway here is this. It's easy for us to recognize that something is wrong when it's great, big, and, and attractive. It's easy for us to see this, this great big thing is, is evil. You know, it, it's easy for us to say, you know what, it's, it's a terrible thing to do cocaine. It's a horrible thing to, to, you know, get drunk and beat your wife. It's a terrible thing to, to you know, uh, get drunk and get behind the wheel. We, we, I mean, this is a, we know that. You know, we ought not to murder anybody. That's pretty good. You know, I can't remember the last time I've heard a whole sermon on not murdering people. It's obvious. It's a big deal. We, I don't need to preach on thou shalt not murder. You know, I've not, I, it's been a long time since I've heard an, a, an entire message on thou shalt not steal. Now, I've preached through the Ten Commandments, so I've actually done this. But as a whole, we don't need frequent reminders not to steal, not to, not to murder, not to go out and have affairs. We don't need those reminders as Christian people, typically. But where do we need reminders? Well, what about hatred? Jesus had to tell us that hatred is as the sin of murder. But hatred's in my heart. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows that I hate them. It's a small thing, and everybody has someone they hate. Or, you know, carnal anger. You know, we've got to have some reminders about, the, about some carnal anger. Oh, and you know what? Not about affairs, but, but lusting in our hearts. We need some reminders of that every once in a while. And about, no, we may not have a big issue of stealing, but, but we better every once in a while be reminded that we've got to be careful about covetousness and being content. We need some of those reminders much more frequently than the great big things. It's easy for, uh, for Peter to stand up against uh, 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 soldiers that are about ready to take Jesus in. He's got a sword and he's going to stand up against all these men. But he's terrified when a little maid, a little girl, asks him if he's been with Jesus. There is a consistent warning throughout Scripture. You can stand against the big thing, but when it comes to the little everyday things, we better be careful. We better be careful. It's the little things that trip us up oftentimes. It's unchecked attitudes. It's prayerlessness. And missing our devotions frequently. It's the little things. It's coming into church without an attitude of worship. It's coming into church without expecting to give anything. And I'm not talking about offering. I'm talking about yourself. If you come into church, service after service after service, for what you can get out of it, not for what you can put into it, there will come a time that you won't get anything out of it. Now, I understand there are times that we go through battles and situations and that we come to church dragging ourselves here by the nape of our own neck 
And we need God to just do something for us. I understand that. But when that becomes the habit and the routine and the attitude, it's the little things. It's the little things. It's the bread and the water, not the feast, that'll trip us up. It's unforgiveness. It's holding grudges. It's bitterness. It's the little things that'll get you. It's pride. It's putting our confidence in our standards and not in our relationship with Christ. It's the little things that'll get us. It's not the great big things. For the vast majority of us, that we're not going to go out there and murder anybody this week. For the vast majority of us, we're not going to go out there and, and cuss up a blue streak. For the vast majority of us, we're, uh, there will be no cigarettes in our mouths. The big things will not trip us up. It will be the little things. And they may snowball into the big things. But what will start the ball rolling, the... An avalanche doesn't start with a great big movement. It starts by just a little movement. And this man of God, when he's tempted, you say, but he was lied to, preacher. Sure, he was. But do you think he would have believed the message if it was to come home for a feast? I don't think he would have. I think he saw it as, you know what, it must be the Lord. It's a small little thing. It must be okay. It's just a little thing. I've said it before. The most dangerous words that can come out of a Christian's mouth is that God doesn't care about and fill in the blank. Whatever that is that you believe that God's not interested in, I'll tell you with 100% confidence God really is concerned about it because if you are holding it back from God no matter how tiny it is if there's any speck of your heart that God does not have 100% control of that thing to you is sin and it's keeping you from the blessings of God whatever it is no matter how small said but but you don't know what God's brought me from I'm not doing those things that I used to do, do but this spot Bread and water. Bread and water. That's what we give. Uh, in, back in the old times, that's what you gave prisoners, was bread and water. But, but I gave God all of these great big things in my life. But you didn't give him all of it. There's still a sliver. If there's still a postage stamp size of your heart that God is not in control of, it's keeping you from the blessings of God. And this man of God, this man of God wasn't tripped up by the feast. He's tripped up by the little thing that he didn't think was important. And I just want to tell you, if there's something in your life right now that you're thinking about that God does not have, I don't care if it's music, I don't care if it's work, I don't care what tiny, I don't care what it is, how small it is, if it's keeping you, if God the Holy Spirit is putting it in your mind right now, you may want to be sure that you've given it over to God. Because a young, or this man of God, this man of God didn't get tripped up by the big offering of a big reward. 
It was bread and water. Bread and water. The second thing that I believe that God wants us to get out of a story such as this is He wants us to be reminded that there are people who will use His name to deceive you. There are people that are, will use God's name. They will say that they, are, that they come from the Lord who, whose whole purpose is to trip you up. Now, I don't know why this old prophet lied to the man of God. We've, I've read commentaries, and, and, and there's a lot of debate. Some think that he, was, that he had been a prophet for a while, and, and perhaps he'd backslidden. And maybe he wanted to trip this guy up because he wanted someone to join him in his own backslidden state. Some have suggested that he was just an old prophet that God didn't speak through anymore. And he just wanted to be near and talk with the, the man that God was speaking through. Some think it's because of curiosity. There's a whole host of reasons why this prophet could have lied to the man of God. But here's the big takeaway. He lied using God's name. An angel of the Lord came to me. An angel came to me and said to bring him home for bread and water. Folks, not everybody who claims to be of God is of God. I have a preacher friend who told me this story happened years ago. You probably don't know the preacher or the situation at all, but he was pastoring a, a church and they were trying to get a school going. And uh, they were having a discussion about the teacher for this school and they were in the, and he had mentioned that he believed that, that this particular person was the person for the job. And one of the ladies, I believe she was a board member, said, God told me she's not the one. And he looked at her, he said, that's funny, God told me she is the one. Now, what are you supposed to do if you're sitting in that congregation or sitting on that board and you've got two people who's telling you that they, God has told both of them opposite things? One of them is wrong. And probably one of them is lying so they can have their own way. I'll be honest with you, I am not a big fan of when I hear God told me, especially when they're telling me that God told them to tell me something. If my devotions are up to date, and my relationship to God is, 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 is clear, my channels are clear, I don't need God to tell Alex to tell me something. God should speak to me himself. It's in, it is not the habit in our home for me to say to my son, Dennis, go tell your mother such and such and such and such. Unless it's because of distance or whatever. But for the, if, if, especially if she's sitting in the same room. We're in the living room together. She's on one side of the couch. I'm on the other. And I'd say, Dennis, tell your mother that I want spaghetti for supper. Now, I know in some homes that happens. And shame on you if it does. Be man enough, be woman enough to work out your differences and don't bring your kids into it. I threw that in free. Well, that's good. But anyhow, when the relationship is clear... 
between myself and my wife, we don't need anyone to run interference for us. And if the relationship that you have with God Almighty is clear and you're walking in all the light and you're having consistent devotions and you are having relationship with Him, you don't need someone to say, God told me. We had a young lady in our last pastorate who had gone to Penview and I think it was she had gone for, the, for one year Bible and, and she would come home and she said she wasn't sure whether she should go back for another year or not. And so I begin to pray. And, and I'll just be honest with you. I, one of the ways that I often pray is I say, Lord, tell me what your will is so I can pray in your will. I like to do that. I like to, and so I did. I said, God, you know all about her. You know about her situation. And would you please just let me know how to pray, whether she sh I should be praying for her to go back to school or whether I should be praying for her to look for a job home. And as sure as I'm standing here, I knew that God wanted her to go back to Penview. I knew it. God told me, and I began to pray that way. But you know what I didn't do, Brother Gary? I didn't tell her. And I didn't tell her at all. I kept my mouth shut about it. In fact, I didn't tell anybody on the board. I didn't tell, I don't even think I told my wife. Just in the place of prayer, when I would mention her name, I'd say, Lord, you've told me your will is for her to go back to Penview. Lord, help her to get your mind, help her to get your will, help her to be able to know that this is what you want for her. Weeks passed. She never told me what God said to her. Finally, it's getting close. The time where she needs to make a decision, she, ne she, needs to, she needs to have had this figured out. And I corner her and I say to her, Leslie, do you know what God wants you to do? Whether you should go back to Penview or not? She says, yes, God's told me to go, that I need to go. I said, thank God. I said, I've known this for weeks. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you're going back. And she said, why didn't you tell me? I said, you needed to hear from God yourself. You didn't need to hear it from me. Is there times that God uses people? Every Sunday you come and listen to me for some reason. You keep coming back. I'm trying my best to get the mind of the Lord and try to share it with you. Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday nights when I'm there and it's not Jimmy trying to take my job. You keep coming back because you're hoping... You're trusting that I'm going to get the word of the Lord for, for you. But it's one of the reasons why I try to stick so close to the word and why you try to use so much scripture is because I don't want to get off in, in what Pastor Jeremy thinks. I want to get off in my opinions and my thoughts and my feelings about it because I don't want to lead you astray. I don't want to be like that old prophet who, in, in my case, would be unwittingly, unknowingly pull you one way or the other in the, in the wrong direction. That's why I try to stay so close to God's word. I don't ever, I don't ever want to deceive someone. Because this thing's too important. And you better be careful who you listen to. On the internet and on the radio. And if you watch Christian TV, you better be real careful who you put into your ears and put into your mind. Because there's many false prophets who have gone into this world seeking out whom they can deceive and who can line their pockets with money. 
And I believe there's going to be a whole host of people that are going to stand at the judgment and they're going to say, we sent brother so-and-so money. We, we sent him money. You, you mean that's not enough? We, we, I mean, we, 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 we got that prayer rug. We got that prayer hat. We got that prayer shawl. We sent the money in. I, I thought we, ha we thought we bought our ticket. There's going to be a lot of people disappointed on the Day of Judgment because they fell for people who use God's name to deceive them. Oh, that we'd stay close to the Word. Stay close to the Word so that we'd be not deceived. Be so careful who you listen to. Be so careful about who you put into your mind because the preachers that you listen to, the stories you listen to, they're going to affect your character. They're going to affect your character. You know, we've been talking a lot, the movement especially, the, but the culture is all about this gay marriage. 15 years ago, 18 years ago, this wasn't an issue, was it? How did it change so fast? How did it become so radical? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you how. Two gay men decided that they were going to change our culture. And they became screenplay writers. And they wrote the script for a television show called Modern Family. And this was their goal. If we can get people to laugh at sin, if we can get them to laugh at homosexuality, they will embrace it. If we can get them to listen to our stories and see that they're people just like them, we can get them to change their moral compass. And I've read articles where these two men have laid out what their strategy was and how they accomplished changing our culture. You better be careful what you listen to. You better be careful what shows and movies you put on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, Amazon Prime or whatever you use. If you remember during the presidential campaign in which Romney was running for president and a good Mormon wife said her favorite show was Modern Family. Trying to help us understand there's people that are coming to deceive us. It's their purpose. And this old prophet came to this man of God, and I trust that, that you all are man and woman of God. But they came and they deceived and even the churches are being rocked by this false doctrine that it's okay because it's who they listen to. It's who they're listening to. Finally, I would suggest that this, this story, God has placed it, strange story, has placed it in, in our Bibles to remind us that there's a terrible consequence for sin. What did he do? He ate bread and drank water. I, I think about that, Trey. Is that worthy of death to eat bread and drink water? When we think about that, we think that seems so trivial. Why would God cause for this man of God to be slain and worse, not only just was he killed, but he wouldn't be buried with in his family's tomb. 
He was going to be buried in a foreign land beside a bunch of strangers, which is a terrible thing to happen in that culture. If you remember that Jacob pled with his children, take my bones back to my father's sepulcher when you leave this place. And when they, Moses led them out, it says specifically they took Jacob's bones with them. That's how important it is. 400 years later, they're still carrying the, the remains of Jacob because it's important that his body be buried with his fathers. And for this punishment... It's not just death that we see, but it's an important, important, uh, uh, terrible, terrible consequence. It's a separation from your family. The consequences of sin are great, even when the sin seems so small. There's a preacher down in Dallas who shared this story. So there's a, a man in his congregation in this middle ages. This middle-aged man that seemed like he'd come to church, I believe, every Sunday, but everything he did was a failure. He tried businesses. He tried to start businesses. They all failed. They all bankrupt. Everything he did, it just seemed like his home life was a wreck. It just seemed like everything. He was just marked with this cloud over him. And the preacher shared, he said, I had the opportunity to just ride with him for some time. We were going to a funeral together, just him and me, and talking. This man's name was Brent, and Brent said, he says, preacher, I want to tell you a story. He says, you're not going to believe this. So when I graduated from high school, I was voted most likely to succeed. He said, I was given on the day of graduation an orator's medal. And people would come up to me and shake my hand and they'd say, you're going to make your mark on the world. You're going to make a difference. This world's going to know that you've been here. He said, but about that time, God gave me a call to his ministry. He wanted me to give my, my talents and my abilities to him. And he said, I thought it cost too much. There were things I wanted to do. There were successes that I wanted to have. Or a conquest that I wanted to make. And he said, I told God no. And he says, and every single business I've tried has failed. He says, my home's a mess. He says, everything that I thought I wanted, I have not been able to have. And every time I go to church, I'd be reminded of the calling on my life. And I, for 20 years, I've told God No. He says, Pastor, I've told you the story because when you talk to young people and they say that it's, that it's costly, it costs too much to say yes to God, he says, you tell them it costs more to say no. It costs more to say no. God told him, no bread, no water. God is very specific. When the king offered him great riches, he quoted what God said. When the prophet asked him to come home with him, the man of God repeated what God said. This is not a, a, an ignorance issue. This is an obedience issue. 
And the little thing that you've left unsurrendered to God. If you leave it that way, you don't give it to God, it will cost you much. I don't know if it'll cost you your life. I hope not. I don't know if it'll cost you your family. I hope not. I don't know if it'll even cost you heaven. Probably it will. It'll probably eventually trip you up and it'll snowball into a big thing. The man of God was mighty through the power of God's word. Miracles were done. The withering of a hand, the healing of a hand, the breaking of the altar of incense. He had everything where he should be. It's on fire and doing God's will till bread and water tripped him up. What a terrible thing to trip over a piece of bread and a glass of water. And maybe the thing that's in your heart that God, the Holy Spirit, has been speaking to you this morning, maybe you think it's a lot bigger than bread and water. Maybe you think it's a lot smaller. But it's not the size of what's unsurrendered. It's the fact that something is. It's the fact that something has been left off the altar. It's a small disobedience. It's a big disobedience. It doesn't matter. The consequences for saying no to God are greater than the cost of saying yes. Let's stand together this morning.